verses 11. Now, as we've been going through Genesis, we often forget because we get down into the weeds. We often forget Genesis is kind of an overview until we get to chapter 11. Uh, we're going to hit, you know, we hit four major events in Genesis until really before we get to chapter 12. But the four events is the creation of the universe. And, you know, we've talked about how that could fill volumes and volumes and volumes. You know, it's like when your child asks you, well, how does this work? And you're like, well, how do you explain it to them? You explain it to them on a certain level, right? You don't give them all every little detail. So we've kind of gone through some of that. And so the creation universe is one of the big events. And, and secondly, it's the fall of man and the sin of man and, and the plan of redemption on that. And we've gone through that. And we talked about the flood. So today we're going to start into the Tower of Babel. The, uh, before we get into the lineage and the rest of the, uh, the book when it comes to Abra- Abram and Abraham and so forth, we hit the Tower of Babel. So Genesis 11.1. 1. Now the whole world had one language and one common speech. And people moved eastward. They found the plain of Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, Come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used bricks instead of stone and, uh, and tar for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that they may make a name for ourselves. Other words, we will be scattered over the face of the earth, but the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. The Lord said, if, anyone is, if, if as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do would be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their languages so that they may not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there all over the earth, and they stopped building the city. Now, that is why it is called Babel, because the Lord confused the language of the whole world. For the Lord scattered them over the face of the earth. Now, there's a lot of, you know, we just read this and we think, oh, okay, we got that. But there's a lot of stuff going on here. It's, it's a lot of stuff we need to understand. First of all, everyone on earth spoke the same language. This allowed for great communication. Now, up until a few years ago, we would have been, oh, wow, you know, that's kind of neat. Well, now in the computer age, we pretty much have the same language, right? It's all computer language. You can do instant translations. You can take your iPhone, go to another country, and they could speak into your iPhone, and they would automatically translate it for you. So in a sense, we're kind of getting back to that point. And along with that great communication, anything they decided on could be easily accomplished because you have all these great minds and all these minds speaking the same language, understanding the same thing, and talking together. The combined mental capacity would be amazing at this point. Uh, You know, combined wisdom and knowledge. Uh, So what do they do with this? Well, they wanted to build a tower. You know, build a city and and this huge tower. And we don't understand everything about what the tower was about. But we can understand a few things. And to understand this, we have to understand the person that's behind the whole thing. And his name was Nimrod, and we introduced him a couple of weeks ago. In uh, chapter 10, it says, uh, verse 8, Cush was the father of Nimrod, who became a mighty warrior on the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. This is why it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. The first centers of the kingdom were Babylon, Uruk, and other cities, and Shinar. From that land, he went to Assyria, where he built Nineveh and some other cities. 
which is between, you know, in that area. So in other words, you have this great area of, of building of, of cities, and you can try to pronounce the names if you want. That's fine. You know, they expect the pastor to learn all this stuff, and it's like you can pronounce it just as good as I can, and I just slaughter it, so I skip the names sometimes. But the, but the Tower of Babel is based on a guy named Nimrod. And to understand Nimrod, we have to understand what we talked about again in Genesis 9. And that was the curse uh, that, uh, that was given. And it says, Cursed be Canaan. The lowest of slaves will he be to his brothers. He also said, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Shem. May Canaan be the slave of Shem. May God extend Japheth's territory. May Japheth live in the tents of Shem. And may Canaan be the slave of Japheth. Now, there's a lot of information right there. So if you want to go back and listen to it online, that's where you're going to get, uh, you know, catch up in a sense on that. But we're not sure exactly what happened. Noah, Noah got drunk. He, he, he drank too much. And then something happened. And uh, one of the sons made fun of him or something to that effect. And we're not sure what else happened, uh, if there was anything else that happened. But Noah cursed him for what he did. And we talked about this. And so the curse would have been the descendants of Canaan here. And in chapter 10, Ham had four sons. And his oldest was Cush. And it represented this, you know, represented deeply, the, or he, he resented the curse deeply. He was just, you know, he couldn't, couldn't get past this. My family is cursed because of, of Noah. And God cursed them through Noah. And we've got to remember that Middle East is an honor-bound culture. You know, it it's kind of still is today. You know, you, you hurt somebody, somebody's family in the Middle East, and, and their whole family comes at you, right? You know, it's interesting. Uh, we kind of have the same thing going on here uh, when it comes to the gang culture and so forth. My son, he goes to Taekwondo, and, and um, uh, they call him Master Shong. Uh, he's a ninth-degree black belt. It was Olympics for Korea and all that. So I would never want to go and fuss at him or argue with him. You know what I'm saying? He could take me down like that. I mean, he's, he's in his 60s and early 70s. I'm not quite sure. And he can move like a 20-year-old, okay? But this little baby was disturbing the class. And I wasn't at this particular class. And, and he asked the person taking care of the baby, you need to take the, the baby out. It's disturbing too much of the class. And the girl starts screaming at him, like the teenage girl. And, and he's just like, no, 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 out. Okay? So they went out. Well, apparently she made some phone calls. Because by the time class was over, everybody was gone. He's walking out to his car. He locked up the building. And four people come screeching up in a vehicle, come to a halt. Two men get out. Two women get out. And they're in his face screaming and hollering at him, just jumping all over him. Now, they didn't ever touch him, which uh, that was probably a good idea because... He could have probably taken them. But I'm just saying that honor-bound culture is kind of still around, and that's what we're, we're dealing with here, this honor-driven culture. If one member of the family is disrespected, then the whole extended family has to come to their honor. And Cush felt he needed to rebel against his curse. That by the time that Nimrod was born, this resentment was strong within the families. He named his son Rebel, or Let, let Us Rebel. <laughs> I mean, that's just like going up against God's face, you know? Uh, the uh, inference is that he trained his son to revolt against God's ways and against the God of Noah and reverse the curse. God said that they would be servants, but his father said, Oh, no, 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 no. We're not going to let that happen. 
We're going to be the rulers. We're the ones that are going to be in charge. And Cush trained him to be a conqueror. So we see the connection between chapter 9 and chapter 10 and chapter 11. It's all part of the same story. We like to, you know, divide it up in the chapters and, oh, we have this story and we have this story. When reality, it all goes together in a big picture. It says that Nimrod was a great hunter before the Lord. We think, wow, I mean, a good hunter. He went out there and tracked animals and so forth. No, that's not what he's talking about. It's talking about hunting humans. He was a great killer. He was a mighty warrior. And the word mighty here is the word champion. The word that they're using in the scripture in the Hebrew is the word champion. It's the same word as, as was used for David's mighty men, men of courage, exceptional strength. In other words, brave men. Well, Nimrod wanted to be in charge. The word mighty, the, you know, like the Hebrew, it's only used to describe David's men. And also it was used to describe Christ. Nimrod is a picture of another one who will try to be mighty who will try to go up against the rule of, you know, in defiance of God's kingdom. It's a, it's a you know, a type of an, another rebel, a, a usurper. He will raise a kingdom to defy the Lord. He is the Antichrist, and he shows up in Revelation 6-2. At the beginning of the seven-year period, the tribulation, and he is the first, uh, you know, he is the first judgment of the seals, and Jesus breaks the seals of the scrolls, and the Antichrist shows up. And, you know, the 70th week of Daniel, we've covered the book of Daniel for those that were here and stuff. That's what I'm kind of talking about. He comes in on this white horse. Many people think he's Jesus. But really what he's doing is he's usurping. He's, he's mimicking Jesus. He's carrying a bow. And, and, you know, what is Jesus always carrying? The truth, the sword that's coming out of his mouth. They gave him a crown. In that culture, a king rode up in a white horse. That wasn't good. I mean, he came as a conqueror, one, one who is going to be in charge no matter what. He will act like a man of peace, but really he wants to conquer. Eventually he shows his true color, and he'll kill millions, and the world will put him into power. He's very charismatic, you know, he's, he has this miraculous ability, very smart, and the world will say, this is the guy. The Jews will say, this, is, this must be the Messiah, look at what he's doing. The Muslims will think, this is the 12th imam. And the, you know, the, the New Ages will think their leader has come back. So you have all these groups, but this guy is a deceiver. And John sees him riding on a white horse, and he receives a crown. So it's the same thing kind of going on. Going back to Nimrod and, and, and chapter 10, it, it says that Cush was the father of Nimrod, who became a mighty warrior on earth. Now, he doesn't start out as a mighty warrior. It takes time. Just like the Antichrist will start out small, and the more he conquered, the more he got, and the mightier he became. It says here in verse 9, he was a mighty hunter before the Lord, and that's why it said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. He is a tyrant. He was ruthless. He was establishing his empire. He was in charge, and everyone was in one place at that time, and he was the ruler. So you kind of get the, the bigger picture here. He created four cities in Shinar near Babylon. And he created four more cities in Assyria, you know, in northern Iraq area. Uh, you know, his main focus was Shinar and his towers. And, and later, known, later it became known as the Tower of Babel. And later it became known as Babylon. That's where Babylon is. Uh, and we need to understand this. He was no fool. He was no just kind of fly by the seat of his pants guy. He understood every empire needs a capital. 
Every empire needs to be able to unite people. It was a political and a spiritual center. That's what Babel was all about. And this is exactly what the Antichrist will do in the end. He will unite the one world government, and then he will have you know, this uh, in a one world religion, and we kind of already see the beginnings of this kind of stuff. We don't know exactly, you know, you've heard me say, it could be three years, it could be 30 years, it could be 300 years. Could, you know, we don't know the time frame. The Lord doesn't give us that, but we do see signs of that. And he will combine both the world uh, government and the religious government, and then God will destroy both of them. In Revelation 17, God judges the world's religious system. And then in Revelation 18, he judges the capital of the political and economic world. And both are called Babylon the Great. And we're going to get in a little bit about that next week. And I want to lay out some today and we'll finish it next week. But in Revelation 17 and 18, the one world government and the one world religion is the ultimate fulfillment of what Nimrod starts at the Tower of Babel. This whole idea is still around. This whole idea is still, still here. It hasn't gone away. What he started is still going on, and it's worldly, and it's you know, satanic at its core. So Genesis 11.1, 1, now the whole world had one language and common speech. As people moved eastward, they found the plain of Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. So again, the, the plain of Shinar is where Babylon is, and there's a lot of great, uh, there's a lot of sand and small rocks, and there's not like big quarries there, okay? So they would take it and they would make these oven bricks. And um, if you go to Israel, you can even actually see some, um, oh, where was that? Uh, my, I should have looked it up. Um, there's a place that we went to when we were in Israel that was built back and has Egyptian symbols on it when Egypt was in charge of Israel for a while that literally has baked bricks where they've built that. And it's such an arid climate that the, the rain and all that hasn't torn it all apart. It's amazing how long these things can actually stay. So this is what they're using. They're, they're baking bricks and they tempered them. They made them strong. And this shows that they were advanced in architect and technology, and they understood a lot of these things. They were intelligent. We think of olden times. We think of biblical times as so backwards, don't we? But these guys were intelligent. We don't know how they built some things. I mean, think about the pyramids. We don't know how they built it. Some of those stones, you can't put a piece of paper in between. You can't. I mean, it's just amazing what they would do. I mean, some... Uh, you know, there's some, all, all these theories, but some of the stones are so large they would tax the equipment that we use today to move large items. And they didn't have that equipment. They had manpower. It was amazing what they could accomplish. And to build the, you know, the thing about the pyramids, just because they're so readily available in our minds to understand, think about the time frame. They would have to lay a stone, one stone every three minutes for 20 years and they were cut and laid with precision. That's amazing. And we talked about this a few weeks ago, that you don't know, you know, uh, there was an intelligence there. We know there was demonic force in the world. We know there's some supernatural things going on. And we talked about that a few weeks ago. The God of the earth is Satan. And the Egyptian leaders thought they were gods. Who knows if they were demon-possessed? I don't know, or demon forces were part of that. Who knows? But we certainly can't figure out exactly how they did all this stuff. Now, back to the tower. It was built with bricks, 
that they had made. It says they used bricks instead of stone and tar for mortar. And this would have been an asphalt cement, like an oil-based mortar, oil and sand and other things, and they would heat it up, and it would become this gummy stuff, and they would lay it down, and it would really harden well. And, you know, the capital city for, for Nimrod's kingdom, in a sense, this amazing tower that they built, and everyone would be talking about it. This is in defiance of what the Lord had told Ham's ancestors. <coughs> they decided they would worship the city and the tower instead of worshiping God. They didn't want to worship a creator. God commanded the people to do what? Be fruitful and multiply and spread out. But this large group decided, no, 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 no. We're better off staying together. We're stronger that way. We're not going to serve anyone, as, as Noah said. No way. We're not going to let this happen. So they wanted to make a name for themselves, as it says in verse 4. The idea is, we don't want to be called God's children. We're in charge of our own life. We do our own thing. And that thought pattern is still here today. We're in charge of our own life. We want to do our own thing. Just talk to a three-year-old. No, you don't get chocolate milk. I want brown milk. No, 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 no. You're getting white milk. You're fixing to go to bed. No, no. I mean, yeah, you fight about it all day long. They want to do their own thing. Same concept. Otherwise, will be scattered over the face of the whole earth, they said. Now, this is exactly why they built the, the tower in Babylon. Did they really think it was going to reach the heavens? No, they weren't stupid. I mean, we, we kind of use the same language, skyscraper, right? We build a tower, it goes up, scrapes the sky. Does it really scrape the sky? Is it really, really, really tall? Yes. I mean, I've been up in some of those tall buildings. It's amazing to get up, uh, you know, that high. And I can remember in college when I was an athletic trainer at University of Houston, we, one place we were staying at uh, was connected to this building. It was real, I mean, the, in Dallas, I mean, it just went really high. And we decided, let's go up to the top floor. Let's get up as high as we could. Well, we didn't realize that all the floors were locked. So we had to come down, like, I don't know how many flights of stairs, and we were running late, and we're like, Tom's going to kill us. The guy, you know, our head trainer, he's just going to kill us. We were running late. I mean, we flew down those stairs. They are tall. It's the same kind of concept. They wanted to make a name for themselves, and that's what they did. Well, the tower was some type of ziggurat, they think. And here's two pictures of a ziggurat. The, the, the top picture is the rebuilt version of the bottom picture. The bo this is at the, the ziggurat of Ur. Okay, and uh, this, the, this is how they found it in Iraq, and this is how they rebuilt it. So they added on to it and stuff to make it look like they, what they felt it looked like back then. And it's amazing. And don't, the picture doesn't give it justice how big this thing is. There's many of these things built between these uh, two major rivers here, and they, they built them all over. And the towers were places of worship. Some were round, like the Tower of Babel is more of a round one. Some were squared, like a, like a pyramid, but all had steps that led up to the top, unlike a pyramid in Egypt. They wanted people to climb up on top of these things because it had an altar, a place to offer sacrifices, and some were human sacrifices and some were not. So it literally didn't reach the heavens, but the idea was to reach a height to be able to sacrifice to their gods. And, and we use, like I said, we use the phrase, you know, skyscraper. Uh, same concept here. 
They would worship stuff like the sun and the moon and the stars. And in the Hebrew, the, the, you know, the translation really is something like they built a tower dedicated to the heavens. Now they think that on top it would have a representation of the heavens on it. Many believe the zodiac, uh, uh, because if you go and study the zodiac, don't go too far into that, but you study that kind of stuff, it started right here in Babylon. So that's what they kind of believed that was on top, and it started with the Chaldeans, who were the Babylonians, and they first developed it and divided the skies into sections and gave meanings to each on the basis of the stars found there. And they believe that each person's destiny is, is based on, you know, when they were born in correlation to the stars, and this is basically ancient heresy. Don't follow it. If you read your, I'd almost say, who reads their horoscope? But I don't want to embarrass anybody. If you read your horoscope, you are following an ancient heresy. Heresy. It is against God, plain and simple. From then it passed on to the Egyptians, which combined it with animism and polytheism of the Nile, and the, and the pyramids correlate to all the stars, and the sphinx have you know, astrological significance, the head of the woman, and the Virgo, the virgin, and the body of the lion, lion signifying Leo, and the first and last signs of the zodiac, and all this stuff. The sphinx, which, which means joining in the Greek, they believe that this was a starting point, and it began right there. Now, because the Jewish people were in Egypt for so long, they became infected with all these practices when they were in Egypt that we'll talk about later. And they brought these practices with them when they exited, as we call the exodus, and go into the promised land. They bring this stuff with them. And we study this in, in chapter 1 about how Satan is a counterfeiter. He wants to create an illusion of worship of God and replace it with anything other than God, perverting what God has created. Now, many people believe the Zodiac is a, a perversion of the Hebrew uh, Maseroth, and we've kind of talked about that. In Genesis 1.14, it says, And God said, Let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night, and let them serve as signs to mark sacred times, days, and years. And let, there, uh, let them be lights in the vault of the sky to give the light on the earth. God made these items in heaven to work together. And they were signs. Hebrew words for the signs is the word oth, meaning beacon or signals, suggesting the stars were, were placed in the heavens as a beacon or a guide on earth in a particular direction. So what direction would that be? Toward God, as a guide toward God. But Satan has taken these signs and changed them and used them to point away from God. And astrology is strictly for, 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 forbidden in the Scripture because of this. Deuteronomy 18 and Leviticus 7 and so on. So from now on, I'm warning you right now, if you're a friend of mine on Facebook <laughs> and you put up your horoscope, I'm going to nail you on it. Now, I promise you I won't do it publicly. I'll send you a private message. But if you're a member of our church, you're, I, that, that's my job. Don't blame it on me. Blame it on God. I'm just following the scripture, okay? God says don't do it. Don't follow it. So therefore, I'm going to hold your feet to the fire on that. Don't put it up. 
You can defriend me if you want. That's fine. But it's forbidden by God. Satan is a counterfeiter, and he used the Hebrew, Mazareth, and perverted it. In Job 38, it says, Can you bind the chains of the... Uh, I can't even pronounce it. You can. Can you loosen Orion's belt? Can you bring forth constellations from the seasons and lead the bear with its lead out the bear with its cubs? Another word for constellations is the word Mazareth. And and what is Mazareth? Well, many believe the, that the constellations were there to point and to announce to the people of the earth the gospel of the sun, as in Jesus Christ, not the sun that goes around the world. Okay. Galatians three. There's a cryptic. Um, verse there that goes with the subject. It says, Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abram or Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. Now, before you think I'm kind of nuts, which you probably already do, that's okay. This is Paul talking here. He says that God preached the gospel. What is the gospel? The good news. What is the good news? It's all about Jesus. It's all about redemption, right? It's all about him dying for our sins. He preached that to Abraham in advance. How did he do that? Well, we know that Abraham understood the gospel. We see that in chapter 22. We'll talk about that later. But Abraham had Isaac, who was probably around 33 years old. He could have overpowered his dad. But he went willingly up the mountain to be sacrificed. When God said, go and sacrifice your son. And this was a, a type of Christ when this was happening. Abraham knew exactly what he was doing. He was acting out the future prophecy. And he took Isaac, he tied him to the altar, he took the knife, and God stopped him and says, don't do that. I have provided a substitute, a lamb for you. And he was testing Abraham. And Abraham passed that test. See, Abraham and, you know, named that place Jehovah Jireh, Yeshua Jireh. The Lord will provide. Hmm. He understood that exact same place, another son would be offered. Offered a sacrifice for our sins. How did Abraham know the gospel? How did Abraham know that God would provide a lamb in that very same place? See, between Noah and Abraham and all the others, God provided a way to know this. The Zodiac is a satanic ripoff. And you can study this and you can, you, you know, you have to be careful how far you go into it because, you know, God uses things of his creation for, for his benefit, but, but many of these things have been corrupted. And that's why in the strongest terms possible, he forbid people from practicing any kind of astrology, worshiping of the stars, this is why God said, don't fashion anything that represents me and worship it. Don't do that. God's presence fills the universe. He's not an item in the universe. His presence fills the universe. God knew the, knew the pagans were worshiping Satan, who were masquerading as these planetary deities, and they would sacrifice and worship these gods, that things would happen here. Crops would, you know, if, if I worship this god, my crops will grow better and so on. And, and, you know, they thought they were worshiping these gods, and really they're worshiping demons. Remember, Paul said that people think they're sacrificing to gods when they're sacrificing 
to evil. They're doing cult worship. People just don't understand it. They're worshiping creation instead of the creator. Witchcraft is like this. It's a creation worship. The whole obsession with Gaia or Mother Earth and, you know, the movie Avatar. That's all that kind of stuff. God always judges man's idols. He did it with Egypt. Every one of the plagues is associated with some type of Egyptian god. Revelation, God judges the planet because the planet becomes the object of worship. They spent so much time in Egypt around this stuff that the Jewish people brought this with them into the promised land. And the book of Deuteronomy, the, the law is given a second time. And right before Je- uh, you know, Joshua t- takes them into the promised land, in Deuteronomy 4, he says, And when you look up at the sky and see the sun, the moons, and the stars, all the heavenly array, do not be enticed into bowing down to them and worshiping things the Lord your God has apportioned to all nations under heaven. God knew, and he was warning them. He was warning them. He knew that they wouldn't drive out all the people of the land. The Canaanites who were there, you know, the descendants of Canaan, who were cursed. The descendants who helped build the Tower of Babel, who helped start the false religion. They were entering into that land, and God knew that they wouldn't drive out those inhabitants like he told them to. And they would have to deal with this belief system. And he was trying to warn them, don't do this. Don't go that direction. He told them that he would cut them off. He told them, I'll start protecting you. I'll start providing for you if you don't remain faithful to me. And they did exactly what God told them not to do. They worshiped the Canaanites' gods, and God judged them for it. Many centuries later, when Josiah became king of Judah, he brought them to a time of reformation to clean the land up. And I love the name Josiah. In fact, my, my firstborn, his middle name is Josiah, after the biblical king. Second King uh, 23, it says, He did away with the idolatrous priests and appointed by kings of Judah to burn the incense in the high places of the towns of Judah and those around Jerusalem, those who burned incense to Baal, to the sun and to the moon, to the constellations and to all the starry host. When you read the Old Testament, you see how many times the high places are mentioned. And the Jewish equivalent to high places or the equivalent to the Babylonian equivalent would have been the ziggurats because they live in a desert. They don't have high places, so they would build their high places. It's the same concept. A practice that started with Nimrod in Babylon, developed in Egypt, brought to Israel, and they used it in the mountains, the high places. They didn't have to build high places. They just went up to the mountains. And this is where they were headed. And Nimrod wasn't just a political leader. He was a founder of a false religion of the world that still continues today. Nimrod was a precursor of the Antichrist. And Babylon means confusion. The city of Babylon is named after Babel. And the word means, the the word Babylonian means gates of God. Very interesting, isn't it? Gates of God. Confusion became the gates of God. Man's confusion became his religion, which he believes would be the gate or the door that would lead him to God. 
So many people say all roads lead to God. All religions lead to God. And that is biblically wrong. Jesus says, no. I am the only door. I am the only way. If you try to enter by any other means except through me, you will be cast out. You'll be cast out. Now, people can say, well, that's bigoted. People can say, well, that's intolerant. And I just say, it's not me saying it, that's God saying it. And I follow God. I believe God. That's the direction I'm going. That's the direction I believe. So let's not get up, you know, caught up in the world's ways, the world's thoughts, because they go against the things of God, right? I mean, all you've got to do is <laughs> just go out in the world. I mean, you, you see it all over, the things that are against the Lord. Now, there was too much here to go on um, to, to cover the rest of the Tower of Babel, so we're going to pick that up next week. But really, the point is, the whole idea of God saying, this all started with Nimrod. This all started with the, with the curse. This all started with Satan, and it continues today. This draw to draw us away from God. Because if we can just come together as a collective consciousness, we can do great things. Now, we can do great things, can't we? Humans are amazing. God made us in an amazing way. And we can, I mean, we've sent somebody to the moon. I mean, my father-in-law, he worked for NASA and stuff. I mean, I have pictures that are unbelievable from him and stuff. We can do great things when we get together and do it. The problem is we try to say, oh, we're so great because we've done these great things instead of saying praise, praise the Lord, praise God. We need to put our faith in God and not do the things that are against God. So I'm warning you, if you put up the false religion on your Facebook page, I'm, I'm going to be saying something to you about it, okay? Not publicly. I, I'm tempted to do it publicly, but I won't do that. You know, I'll restrain myself. So, Well, let's stand up and pray as the worship team comes and uh, finishes us out today. Lord, you are an amazing God. You, you see the big picture that we don't quite understand. You give us little glimpses. And it's amazing how the, from Genesis to Revelation, the Bible just fits right together. That you're telling us what's going to happen in the future, just even in the beginning of Genesis. We pray as we study your word that you impart your knowledge on us. That we put it into practice each day. That we, know, that we not go off, uh, go off and go out toward the things that are, that are of this world. That we go towards you because you're our saving grace. You're our foundation. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine down upon you. And may you worship him on a daily basis. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.